Welcome to Commonplace Church. My name is Craig, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, thanks for uh, joining us this morning. We're really glad that you guys are out here this morning. Uh, we're going to look through the book of James, not the whole book, but we're going to look through chapter 1, verses uh, 9 through 18 today. And I want to start with um, I want to start with a quote. I want to start with a quote. It's been a long time since we started with a quote, okay? And the reason it's been a little while, starting with a quote, is, is signature uh, Jason. It's Jason. It's, it is classic Runyon. It is what Jason does. If you don't know who Jason is, Jason is one of our teaching elders here. He's part of our teaching team, and he's typically in the rotation uh, as, as we teach the, the, the books of the Bible here. But a couple months ago, um, Jay, unfortunately, he injured himself doing some really cool dance moves at our youth group send-off, and that led to him having to get surgery, and he's been kind of out of commission on the IR for the last couple weeks. And so he's um, doing well. We've been praying for him. He's uh, resting up and hopefully getting ready for his comeback tour, uh, hopefully in a couple weeks, so we'll get him back up here. But in order to kind of make up for like the lost time of quotes, I'm going to share a couple quotes with us today, maybe, maybe two or three quotes. Uh, and it's going to be in regards to what I think is a really... Um, recognizable cultural value that we see today in our, in, our, in our world. And these quotes are going to be in regards to this idea and this construct of boundaries, of boundaries. And I want to share quotes from kind of current thought leaders in, of our culture, um, three, three in particular. Maybe the, the first two are pretty noticeable. The second, third one, I'm not sure how prominent this person is, but it's a good quote and it's helpful. So, but the first one is from uh, a person, this, this woman called uh, Brene Brown. I don't know if you know, know Brene Brown. I, I think I'm a, I'm a fan. I think she's great. Um, but she says this. She says, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when risking, risk disappointing others. When we risk disappointing others. Sorry about that. So that's, that's just one quote that we can start with. Here's the second one. Uh, another leader in the culture, whoa, says this, um, who's kind of rich in wisdom. It's, it's this guy named Warren Buffett. And he says this in regards to boundaries. This is the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Here's a musician, this guy named Phil Good. It's kind of a cool name. It feels it's feel good, maybe. I don't feel good, but whatever. He says this. He says, when someone oversteps your boundaries, they're letting you know what, that what you want, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So boundaries are, are kind of a big thing right now. As, as if you're familiar, there's, a, there's a, a doctor named Dr. Henry Cloud who has a book called Boundaries. 20 million people have bought this book. Uh, if you haven't purchased it, maybe you have a boundary about buying that book. But boundaries is, in, in our culture, it's, it's this kind of high value. We're, we're kind of champions of this concept of putting up boundaries, of having boundaries. And, and I agree with this cultural value. I think it's an important thing to have boundaries. I think they're healthy. I think that uh, we should desire them. I think we should abide by them. But here's the thing. In regards to this topic, as I was prepping for the, this, this text this week and preparing for this text, I, I regards to this, I, I was kind of struck with this thought. When, when it comes to this cultural value of boundaries... As a culture, are, are, is it possible we might be operating in some sort of double standards when it comes to celebrating boundaries? Let me, let me explain what, that is, what I mean by that. Well, I think we would agree that this construct of boundaries is a good thing and we celebrate this. Like It's, it's one thing that we, we support as a culture. We would get behind, right? And, and I, I agree. I think that's great. But what I think is fascinating is that at the same time, 
the same culture that I believe would be so about boundaries and celebrating the beauty of boundaries, I, I'd suggest would seem to maybe back off this, this construct a little bit, maybe this idea a little bit, when it, when it comes to about sharing boundaries as something that, well, God also has, as something that God actually has created, something that God engages in, as something that, that God has established for his creation, who he loves. And, and I think it's, it's fascinating how in one moment we can celebrate this concept. And then the next, like, you know, just being like, hey, yes, boundary setting is amazing. And which, personally, I, I think it is true. And yet the, the concept, once it's applied to God, well, the, re, the reality is, is sometimes we want to back off. I want to say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, which, which boundaries, they're designed by him. They're part of his created order as a way to love and protect his creation. That, that's, that's his hope in that. And, and so I'd, I'd suggest that there, there may be this double standard of, of maybe celebrating, but then kind of also like pushing back a little. Just, just pushing back when it comes to this idea um, for God. So, so for example, if I was to just post something um, on social media, which I, I rarely do, but if I was to post something in regard to God's created boundaries, in regards to, to something like, like sexuality, if I was to post something, like that God, his design for, for, um, for, for sex is in the context of covenant marriage between a husband and wife. Well, how quickly would I probably receive comments, like they start flowing in about, well, that's just, you're just being bound, being bound just to marriage, right? Just between husband and wife, that, that might be, that seems oppressive. That seems archaic. That, that seems a little bit just closed-minded, but, but then the, the double standard part is, but, but wait, like, culture, wouldn't we agree with maybe the quote of, uh, that, that says, um, you know, we, we are uh, boundaries, if someone oversteps your boundaries, they're, they're letting you know that what you don't want doesn't matter, right? And doesn't God, like, doesn't, should his boundaries matter, right? Well, well I think they should. Or, or the boundary that God sets in regards to the created things of this world, has created things of this world, things like um, food, the good gifts of food, good gifts of, of, of drink, to be enjoyed in the boundary of moderation. Or for some, just, just saying no to that altogether. Like if I was to post that, I, I'd probably receive some responses of like, wait, wait, that, that's, that's kind of lame. <laughs> or I don't know if people, kids still say this, but they used to say YOLO. I don't know if that's still a thing. Or eat, drink, be merry, because what, tomorrow die, right? Well, Warren Buffett, this wealthy wisdom guy, would probably say, he says that really successful people, that well, they say no to almost everything. So once again, there's a question, is, is God allowed to have boundaries? I'd suggest for this consistency of, of considerations just in regards to the value of boundaries that yes, he should. In, in fact, I would even make the suggestion that in regards to this current cultural celebration of boundaries, if, if we choose to exclude boundaries set by God, that it would kind of make us cultural hypocrites in a way, wouldn't it? Like, because when it comes to us, we love boundaries. We respect boundaries. The way that I've designed my life is to be respecting these boundaries. And yet, it's hard to not find a little bit of, of, of hypocrisy when 
honoring boundaries excludes the creator of them. Okay, so what's my purpose in sharing this concept of boundaries? Like, how in the world were like, how does this tie into James chapter, chapter 1, verse 9 to 18? Well, here's how. We set boundaries for our good, right? That's the purpose of them, for our good. And, and the boundaries that God has designed for his creation are also, they're intended for our good. They're, they're intended for our protection, to, to give us life, to keep us from harm, to protect. Like if a boundary, for instance, if a boundary is enforced and someone who, who is being abused, right, the, the, the boundary is what? For, for the protection of that other person when it's being abused. It's, it's the desire of the boundary designer. It's, it's, it's love. It's, it's protection. And when James is going to go after today, what we're going to see him talk about is, well, the temptation in our times of struggle, in our times of sorrow, of hardships, to, to turn away from the designer, from his design of these boundaries, which are there to keep us safe, to protect us, and turn towards the temptation that turns towards our, our personal desires, which typically... They, they lead us out of these, the bounds of God's design. The, the temptation that, that during times of trials, during struggles, during moments where we're just having hardships, we find our faith tested, where those moments we're, we're tempted to look inward rather than to, to, to seek upward, what we call maybe these, these temptation traps, these, these traps of temptations that we see. And James is going to address two of these temptation traps today. The first one that he's going to talk about, he sees these going on in the early church. Uh, the first one he's talking about is this, this temptation, the trap of, of materialism. And verses 9 through 11, that's what he's talking about through that process. And we're going to actually put a little bit of a placeholder on that, and we're going to get back to that in a couple weeks as we're going to look at James chapter 2. So that's the first kind of temptation trap we see. But here's the second one. We're going to spend most of our time in this one today. It's when we're met with trials... When we're met with hardships, the trap comes when we want to place our personal desires over God's purposeful design. That's the trap. The temptation to really trust in the desires of our own heart, desires of our, our own way, over God's design, over his design, which is, is for us, his heart, over the path that he desires to keep us near to him. During these times of trial, which are through these boundaries that he's placed. Almost like a simple analogy to kind of um, to reference is when we choose to maybe operate out of trust, out of, out of like the, the lust of our hearts rather than receiving this offering of love from God's heart. And so as we look at verse 13 to 15, here's what we're going to see. James, is, he's recognized this temptation to choose our singular desires. And we kind of break it down to like singular desires over God's kind of collective design, if you think about it that way. And, and then as we see a little, little bit further on, James is going to, he's going to also correct an inaccuracy in regards to temptations and God's role in that. So let's look at this passage. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, Real quick, here, here's what I'll point out that James, what he's not saying, all right? What James isn't saying here is that desires in themselves are wrong, that desires somehow are inherently evil. You see, desire, this is, this is a God-given feeling, emotion, right? Desire is a characteristic that God has created for the purpose of relationship with him. Right, in God's relationship with him, that he alone would be our, the, the, the uh, source and would be the object of our desire. So just really be clear, James, he's not uh, saying the trap is the desire in, in itself. The trap is really, what James is saying is the desire of the self, of the self. If you look at, at verse 14, at the end of it, he says, his own desire. You could put her as well. But James, he's addressing the desires that stem from self. The desires that are inward, the desires that are not upward, that really only look to serve the self. Desires that place the individual really in this role of determining for the collective. That's what, that's what he's saying. The individual really placing themselves in this role of the designer. And so the challenge with that setup, with the individual as the designer, well, typically, if that's the case, there's only one thing in mind, and that's, that's the self. That's this singular desire. But the design of God, it's, it's so different. His design is for the good of all of his creation. It's for the good of all people. God's boundaries are to protect, to keep us, not just like a select few, but to keep all of, all of his creation protected. His boundaries are to protect. His design is for the good of all his people. And so his hope is to keep us from harm, right? That's, that's the hope in these boundaries. And so how do these boundaries, how do they keep us from harm? Well, here's what they do. They, they, they really, the hope is to point us to life. It's to point us to life. It's to point us back to God. See, see the Christian worldview declares that God is the source of all life. In him is life. This is what Paul shares to the group of uh, men in, in Athens. He says this in Acts 17. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and, listen, the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. This is what he shares with this, this group in, in, in Athens. And Paul's declaring, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord also sustains life. He's declaring that God gives man not just the conception of life, but he gives the protection for life. And life through these boundaries that he set up of his design. And he's saying the boundaries of their dwelling place, right? You see that in, in Acts right there. And so God's design 
It's to offer us life. It is. His desire, plain and simple, is that we would have life. His offer is incredible. It's life. But but here's the temptation. Here's what we're running into. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of our hardships, the temptation is rather than receiving God's design for life, operating in these boundaries he's provided, trusting that he works all things for us good, the the temptation that so often, I, I know myself that I find, is to really take matters in our own hands is to take matters and place our trust outside of him, to, to, to act out, right, to act out of his design, to put our trust in rather what we desire, what we think might comfort or might fix the problems. Maybe, maybe it's a, a bottle. Maybe it's a, a, a pill. Maybe it's a, a relationship. Maybe it's, it's just spending money, whatever it might be that we think might fix the issue. And as, as we act on our desire with, outside of God's design, well, what's happening is we're not actually choosing life. We're not actually choosing life. It's actually the opposite. James is going to talk about it's actually death. We're actually choosing death. If you look at uh, verses 14 through 15, it's these moments he talks about of, of choosing death. We have to choose that we either want to welcome life or we bring about death. And James is going to share what happens when we allow our desires to live. To live unchecked out of God's design. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're, we're choosing to breathe life into something that will only bring about death. We're giving life to really through our own personal desires out of the bounds that God has given us. And that leads to sin. And sin, like he talks about and says, leads to death. So our desires, well, they lead to death. If you think about what, what's the leading cause of death? Well, the leading cause of death, it's, it's the desire of man. Literally, think about it. Man's desire over God's design, if you look back at Genesis, it caused death. That, that's, that's what happens at the fall. The consequences of man's desire to be like God, it led to sin's imprint on our humanity. It led to sin's curse. Ultimately, it brought about death. And so, literally, the desire of man is the leading cause of death. Man's desire unchecked is it's deadly. It's deadly. But, but here's the struggle that I, I, I know I can fall into, and I think as, as humans we often fall subject to, is, is we rarely recognize how quickly desire can turn to death. We, we fail at times to see just how fast sin's path of destruction steps in. And, and, and I appreciate that we have a God who loves us enough in his word to talk about that, to point out the reality of our circumstance, of our condition. We, we see this, Paul shares about this in Romans chapter 7. He talks about this war of design versus desire. He talks about how this war stems from the centrality of sin's imprint on our being. Look what he says. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. 
For I do what I want, I, for what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not know the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Here's what Paul is referencing and what James is, is, is inferring. Is, is, it's sin is central to our being. Sin is central to our being. And now, real quick, I want, I want to just point something out. Sin being central to our being, it doesn't mean that we're just sin. Or that only sin. And, and I, want to, I want to point that out because it's important to recognize that sometimes we can, we can miss the reality of God's created timeline, the way he, he created things. It's important to know the timeline of our relationship with God. That chronologically, Genesis 1, we see God make man in his image, in his likeness. And he says it's very good. It's very good. And that takes place before Genesis 3, before sin's entrance. Meaning God, God didn't create sinners. He designed man to bear his image, to bear his likeness. See, sin distorted that image. Sin marred that image. And I share this because sometimes we can just take a view that misses God's intentions, and we only just see sin. And I'm not saying we shouldn't recognize sin. I think we obviously should. We talk about this. But if we don't also view the way that God has created us in love, a God who desires to rescue us from this devastation of sin, redeeming us through the love of Christ Jesus, we might not get the full understanding of God's design and his desire for creation. Because the truth is, God created us in the image of him. It's not in the likeness of sin. And I share that truth because sometimes that view of missing this image bearer can lead to unhealthy recognitions of, of, of self-worth, of self-value, of, of self-deprecation, of even sanctity of life. But yet, we do. We also need to be honest about sin's reality and its impact on our lives. Sin has distorted, distorted God's good design. And now, sin indwells within us and dwells with our being. And what, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does sin indwelling in our being mean? Well, here's, here's what I believe it to be. The indwelling curse of sin, ultimately it's, it's sin's infection of our hearts. It's, it's a disease of the heart. It's heart disease. It's what it is. It's, it's heart disease, which is, if you didn't know, it is the leading cause of death in this world right now. Right? Heart, heart disease, literally, is leading to death. And we see all throughout the Bible, we see God makes this so clear about the condition of our heart. If you look at Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It says, The heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What he's saying is the heart is terminal. He's saying our hearts, they're sick. And because it's sick, the desires of our hearts, well, they produce the same fruit. Sickness. Jesus shares pretty powerfully about the heart this way. He says, well, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, 
murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So our individual unchecked desires, they can become just a product of, of the heart, a product of our sinful hearts and our hearts infected by sin's curse. So what happens out of the heart? Well, sin. And sin equals death. Okay, so as, as we look at this text, as we look at what James is saying, he's, he's dealing with this issue that many in the church have the confusion of this origin of life and this origin of death. They're confusing who is the source of life with who is the source of death or what is the source of death. In particular, there's a group that James is addressing who are placing their temptations to sin as something that God is tempting them with. Something that God is, is, wants them to do. Somehow placing sin as God's desire. Rather than, well, sin is the desire of the heart. They're kind of like accusing God of like almost gaslighting them. Like gaslighting. Which is a, another kind of hot concept these days. If, if you're unfamiliar with the term, here's what the American Psychological Association defines it as. To gaslight someone means to manipulate another person into doubting their own perceptions, experiences, or understanding of events. And so this group is almost like gaslighting God. Making, making them question, saying his intentions, his desire, his design. And James is speaking into that. He's, he's speaking to this group who's in the midst of trials, in their struggles, and accusing God of somehow he's shifting his character. They're, they're, they're really kind of blame-shifting God. They're blame-shifting him like, God, I'm falling into sin because you, you keep tempting me. Like, stop trying to make me sin, God. Maybe a modern equivalent is something like, uh, well, God, why are you tempting me? My, my, my internet so, like, safeguard software is down all day. Like, I mean, God, come on, you, you want me to, are you tempting me? Like, do you want me to like, fall into sinful behaviors? But let's ask, is that what God's doing? Are, the, are those God's intentions? Does he really tempt us to sin? I mean, the answer, of course not. Of course not. That's not his character. And James is saying, he's saying, listen, the temptations, they're not from God. You're tempted by your own sinful desires. Desires to operate outside of these boundaries of God's design. And so I think it's important to help with like any potential blaming of God for temptations. I want us to just take a quick minute and, and look at like, well, let's ask, what is God's role? Like, what is God's role as we're met with temptations to, that want to lead us to sin? Well, here's God's role. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In regards to temptation, chapter 10, verse 13, God's role is this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, so God's role, it's the same as it's been in the beginning of time. God's role is protector. He's not tempter. He's protector. He's protecting us. Notice what this passage says, what it says about God in regards to temptation. It says he is faithful. He will not let. That's protective language. It says, it, it, never, it doesn't say in any place it says God will cause. No. Paul says he also will do what? He'll provide a way to escape 
that, that's a protectionary God. And one of the ways that he provides is by offering us these, to, 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 to these boundaries to keep us from sin's desire. And God's clear about a lot of things. And he's clear, as we see in James, about the intentions of sin. Here's sin's desire. Sin's desire is to destroy. It's, it's, what, it's what God warns Cain. If you look at the story of Cain and Abel, before he murders his brother Abel, he says, Cain, you have this desire, but it's sin. It says sin is crouching at the door. It's desire. It's contrary to you. It's opposite of you. But you must rule over it. What is sin's desire? Well, it's, it's the complete opposite of God, right? It's against, not for us. It wants to destroy us. It wants to kill us. And James, he's correcting this concept that like places these intentions of sin upon this desire and design of, of just an incredibly good God. He's correcting this trap that somehow God is anything but good. Look what he says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That's not death, that's life. Which God has promised to those who loved him. And so James, he's declaring, when you're going through the trials, when you're going through the struggles, here's God's offer. It is the opposite of death. It's the crown of life. That's what he offers. Which is promised when we remain steadfast, when we remain entrusted to these boundaries that he's set for us, that he has designed in our lives. Boundaries are these offers to protect us from what's trying to destroy us. James, and then he doubles down and shares that everything about God is good. Look what he says. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. Of his own, he will brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So look what James is saying. He's saying, brothers and sisters, see, I love you. I love you. Don't fall into deception that God isn't who he says he is. Don't fall into that trap. Remember who God is. He's only good. And that means what you're desiring, maybe in your heart, if it's not aligned with what's designed, the boundaries that are established, not aligned with the design of the Father of lights, who is good, who doesn't change. These unaligned desires, that's the issue. That's our issue. It's not God. It's not God. That desire unchecked, that's the issue. And if that stays unchecked, it's not going to bring you life. It's, it's going to do the contrary. It's actually going to produce the opposite. Your desire unchecked with God's design, if you allow it to come to life, this is what James is going to tell us, it then it reproduces it reproduces more of its kind. And, and you don't need some sort of like gender reveal, any sort of ultrasound, genetic testing, and get an idea what, what the baby is going to be like. No, James is saying your unchecked desire, it's just going to give birth to sin. You're going to be the proud parent of transgression. And, and guess what this little bundle of misery is going to do? It's going to grow up and become, it's going to become death. Death, which 
just desires destruction. Death's ultimate end game is destruction. It's destruction of relationships. It's destruction of our relationship with God. It's the destruction of the one who gives us life. It's really the, the death is the sin is destruction of our lives. And here's the reality. This, this, I get this might sound a little bit morbid, but, it, but it's true. Sin equals death. Death is the wages of sin. And sin is trying to, and one day it will, it will kill us. And I think James is warning us that if we know that to be true, if we're aware of this, let's not help expedite the process. Let's not expedite it by giving life to our desires. Let's, let's not assist in death's assault on us by falling into self-desires over God's design. So practically, how, how do we push forward? How do we wage war on this desire? I, I think it starts first really with I would say in those moments of temptations, holding up our desires to God's good design, holding up in light of God's design. It starts with this awareness of his design. Like, do they align? Is is there a match? Is there a match? Reminds me of a a, a game show that my grandfather used to watch. They might have done a a reboot by now, but uh, when he used to go visit, it's it's called um, The Match Game. You guys remember The Match Game? Yeah, my grandfather watched it, okay. Um, But here's the premise. You you, you have two contestants, okay? And, And what they're doing is they're answering a series of questions. And now the same questions are going to be given to both of the contestants. But the challenge of the game is this. The first contestant's going to really begin the game by providing answers to the questions without the other contestant being present, without their knowledge. And so the first contestant really, is, I would say, establishes the answers. And then the second contestant has to come along and ask the same set of questions, and they're hoping for a match. That's really the goal of the game. It's the, called the match game. And seeing how many of these answers align. We got, we, got a, we got a match, like hoping for a match. And really, here's how they determine it. Well, the host begins with bringing the contestants forward. Contestant number one, hold up their answer, right? And then, of course, they ask contestant number two, and, well, they hold up their answer. And, well, if both cards have the same answer, boom, we got a match. And so in a similar way, God's role is to establish the answer, why? Well, he, he went first, right? He's here first. He's the designer. And maybe it's a corny analogy, but it's true. Right? He established a design for his creation. And so with that being said, well, so who are we? What's our role? It, it's, it's hard to argue against we're not contestant number two. We're contestant number two. And, and, and we were to look at God's design and hold up our desires and then ask do these match? Do these align? And if they don't, well, the discrepancy, it's not in God's design. Remember, he, he went first. He set the answer. If it's not a match, the discrepancy comes from our desires. And, and of course, in order to, to make a match, well, we need to be aware of God's design. And so here's, here's my encouragement to us. 
that we would ask, do, do, do I know the boundaries that God has designed for his creation? Am I aware? Am I aware of the boundaries of how we're called to love one another? Am I aware of, of these boundaries in regards to sexuality, in regards to, to, to wealth, in regards to how we use our time? Right? Do, do we understand the boundaries in regard to living in a world that's always busy? These boundaries in regards to rest. And that's a struggle in North Jersey. Do we have an understanding of what healthy relationships with these good gifts that God gives look like? Has it become unhealthy where we've now desired the gift over the giver? And so the question is, are we aware of the boundaries that God has designed for us? And if we don't have an awareness, if we don't know what these boundaries are, here's the beauty of a life-giving God. Well, he gives good gifts. And the greatest gift we can have is have a relationship with him. We can have knowledge of him, an understanding of how to live, how to live life in a world that's he's designed, really embracing godliness, holiness, righteousness. Like, like Paul instructs Timothy, he says, for everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we'll toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So, so where, do, where do we find godliness? Where do we see godliness? Well, it's found in the things of God, seeking his word, seeking time with him, prayer, discipleship. Being part of a local church, this is how we seek these moments. Godliness is incredibly important because it's where we find life in the midst of our trials. God's desire over our personal desires is honoring the boundaries that he's given. And if we do that, I truly believe we can remain steadfast. We can remain steadfast through those trials. See, God desires us to desire him in those moments of temptations, of trials. That's, that's his design for us. And yet, I know if we're honest, um, consistency in that is, is a struggle. I know, I know it is for me, and we still fall short of, of God's glory. But this is why the gospel is so good. Here's the good news of the gospel is life is ultimately found. It's not found in our ability to perform or achieve and how we carry out living in God's design. That should be our desire. But sadly, the reality of sin's impact is living this out of God's design perfectly. It's beyond anything we're capable of. It's sadly. But the beauty of the gospel says, well, where we couldn't, where we were unable, Jesus could and Jesus did. Look what the author of Hebrews writes. He tells us in regards to temptation and in regards to Jesus' work. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then 
with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to those help in time of need. So Jesus says was tempted in every way. That's just a humanity piece, but without sin. That means he actually knows these struggles. He knows the temptations we have. He recognizes and he sympathizes. I love that. And draws near. And so he calls us to draw near to the sympathetic Savior. And that's how we ultimately endure these temptations. Hebrew gives us this incredibly practical step forward. I love it. It says, draw near to the throne of grace. And it doesn't just say draw near, but draw near confidently, with confidence. Confidence in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. Confidence in the gospel message that Jesus cleanses my sin, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And he invites me. He invites us towards him in those moments of sinful desires to move towards him not away to find grace to find mercy to find solace to know that Christ is my righteousness in him in him alone and so as we close our time i i just i want to take a little few moments of just Silence and just reflection. And it's, it might feel a little weird. I know I struggle with silence, but it, let's give it a try. Uh, but what I, what I hope we can do is, is for some, maybe let's just seek clarity in knowing God's design. Like, am I aware of these boundaries that he set to protect me? Maybe that's just our time for reflection for some. And, and for others, maybe if we are aware, I, I would invite us to, to confidently, through the throne of grace, Seek, seek the Lord and ask where we might be operating outside of those boundaries that he's provided for us. Like, br- bring that to him confidently. M- maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's the way we use our bodies or misuse our bodies, things like gluttony or drunkenness or sexual immorality, whatever it might be. But just a moment of, of clarity, maybe a moment of, of, of confession, maybe a moment of repentance, whatever it might be, just a moment of just stillness and seeking the Lord. Um, let's be reminded of, of, of the love of God in Christ. So I'm going to invite the band up, and we're just going to take a few moments and just be silent before the Lord. Let's take that time now.